First Samuel chapter 21, a short chapter. We're going to read through it and then look at it together. First Samuel chapter 21, starting at verse one. David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual whenever. I I set out the men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priests gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that they detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in the presence and while he was In their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, Look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? There it is. Remember, David is running for his life. Saul is out to get him. Last week we talked about that touching chapter between he and Jonathan as he left and ran for his life. And so now here he is on the run. He's no doubt hungry. He comes to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. This is a a city that is known where the tabernacle is at. And then we see this transpire. Now, before we get in, what stands out to you in this chapter? What are some of the things that stand out to you? 
that he lied. Okay. Anything else? That stand out to anyone else that he lied? He's a good actor. That's right. Not only is he a warrior, plays the harp, but he's an actor too. He's got it all. Interesting that that would stand out, and that would be one of the primary things that stand out, is David's basically acting out and David's deceitfulness. From this passage of Scripture, this short chapter, there are two psalms that are ascribed to it that we're going to look at. One of them actually contains a prophetic uh, utterance regarding Christ. Jesus refers to this chapter. And so this short little chapter is really influencing a lot of the scripture. Jesus himself accounting for it and two other psalms. And again, one of the psalms having within it an account of prophecy concerning Christ. And yet what stands out to us is that David lied and he was acting out. And so let's look at this because I think it's telling how we see this and then how it gets portrayed through David's words in different songs and even through what Jesus says. First verse, it says, David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Why do you think he trembled? What's going on? Why is he afraid? Not usually priests. Now, uh, I I don't think Ahimelech knew, apparently he didn't, we're going to see actually in the next chapter, of the conflict between Saul and David. So it's not like, oh no, you're not supposed to be here. That's taking place. See, David is well known. He's a person of renown. He is a great warrior. He's a person who's on the, the... King's, you know, seating chart, whatever you'd call it. He's in the king's midst. And so he is a prominent person. Imagine if a prominent person came to your home, no matter what you thought of them. What if the, you know, vice president came to your house, but he was by himself? Yeah, Mr. Biden, what are you doing here? It would freak you out. Even if you didn't vote for you know him, it would still freak you out. You'd be like, what are you doing here? This, this isn't normal. Something isn't right in this picture. You shouldn't be by yourself. And so then David goes on and he answers Ahimelech and he gives him this story. And this story is a lie. There's no way around it. He lies. And that becomes our focus. But it wasn't Jesus's focus when he talked about this passage. And so turn to Mark chapter 2, looking at verses 23 to 27. It takes place in Matthew as well, but we're going to look at Mark's account of this. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, 
And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What the Pharisees did was hone in on the legalities of what Jesus was doing against their religious traditions. The Sabbath is supposed to be holy. It's consecrated. And they had a long list of things that you should not do on the Sabbath. And rubbing grain together was considered working. It was actually considered the same as harvesting. You're you're doing this work to get the, the kernels out of the wheat. And so that's considered work. And that's not allowed. They were so stringent on their rules and regulations because they thought if they could just be so nitpicky on every little thing that what would happen is God would be pleased with how minute detail they showed to the law. And so their concern was focusing on every detail to try and get all they could out of it. And as they were so legalistic, Jesus brings to account this instant. And he uses it to let them know that human need outweighs religious creed. That the needs of people are more important than the traditions of a person's religion. That there is the right for someone to want to do these things to provide for their own life. He doesn't even mention that David lied. The scripture doesn't talk anything about David's lying, but almost every commentary I read did. I found it very interesting that Jesus doesn't talk about David lying, but everyone else does. And it seems like we're so easy to focus on the things that are legally wrong. Well, the law says, but Jesus said that the law, the Sabbath, the law of God was made to benefit man. That man's purpose wasn't to benefit the law. And so what Jesus is doing is giving the credence to the need of a human being rather than the legality of their traditions. Now, in Leviticus, I think it's chapter 24. I didn't write it down. But it does talk about no one is supposed to eat this bread except the priest. And then when it's taken away, you see, the showbread, the the word showbread literally means bread of faces or Bread of presence, as it says here in one of the verses. And the idea is the 
priest, when he is eating this bread, he is supposed to be eating it in the presence of God, as if he was eating face to face with God. And the bread would have to be replaced daily because it was supposed to be something that was fresh. And this bread that he gave David was the bread that was day old. And that bread was still supposed to be eaten by the priest, but was also allowed to be eaten by his family. And so their idea is, well, the law says. David goes in there, he's starving, he's on the run for his life. He needs food and he lies. And Jesus uses it as an example. I find that interesting. And the Bible doesn't say it was wrong. In fact, throughout the scriptures, these kinds of things happen. And I know a lot of you are getting real uneasy right now. You're you're just nervous. Are you telling us it's okay to lie? No, I'm not saying that. There are things that we focus on more than what we should focus on. Rahab the harlot lied to protect the men of Israel when they came looking for the spies. And it never says that she did something wrong. Never. But every commentary I read talks about her lying, that she shouldn't have lied. And I find it so interesting when I read something or I watch a a video of someone, they're talking about this passage, and they said, well, here's what David should have done. David should have talked to Ahimelech and said, listen, Ahimelech, this is what happened. Saul is after me. I'm running for my life. Please give me some bread. He should have told them that. But, you know, it's easy to talk about what someone should have done when your life isn't on the line and when you're running for your life. And everyone blames David for this in, in the next chapter We'll talk about it because Ahimelech is killed by Saul and they blame David for his death. The commentaries. Scripture doesn't, but the commentaries do. Why? Because there is so much focus on law, even among Christians, that they're missing what God is doing. And what God is doing is raising up his anointed. And David lies. God doesn't make mention of it being bad or okay. He just accounts for it and doesn't even mention it. Because something else is happening that is important. Jesus says that the law was there to help man. And so when the law is being used to hurt man, which is what this law would have done, then it's not okay. Would it have been better for David to starve? No. That's not the intent. The intent was to bring holiness and ceremony to the things of God. David wasn't trying to take away from that. He was trying to survive. And as he does this, it becomes a huge event. In fact, he writes about this exact event. Now, now think what's happening here with David. And turn to Psalm 34. Think of all that we just read. And how we are looking at David. And let's face it, we're looking at him rather judgmentally. Okay? 
He lied. He shouldn't have lied to the priest. He lied to a man of God. Why would he do that? And and now he, he takes the sword. And one commentator that I read said the sword that he won in faith by God, he's now taking in deceit. I thought, man, that's harsh. And I love what David says when he goes, there, there's the sword of Goliath. And David says, yeah, there's none like it. it. It almost seems like David is saying, God has provided me again with what, he gave me back then. That's how I read it. But again, most of the commentators I read, David took deceitfully what he once took by faith. I'm just giving you a feel of how things are in in Christendom, okay? And I'm not saying I'm right. I actually feel very nervous when I start talking like this and I'm reading guys who are scholars and I go, okay, but I just... I start reading this, and then I read Psalm 34. And look at the top of Psalm 34. It says, um, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, this, well, we have to read on first. Okay, let's, I'm sorry. Psalm 34 takes place after, let me continue. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. The last part here in this chapter, where verse 10, he goes to Gath. Now, Gath, Gath is a Philistine city. Why is David going to a Philistine city? This is the enemy. Why do you think? They wouldn't think he would be there? What are you going to say, Alex? Yeah, right? It makes sense. It's like, he'll never find me here. He won't go here. And so he's running to this Philistine city. Again, you wouldn't believe the commentaries. David, you know, returned to the world. He was backslidden. He betrayed his faith in God by fleeing into the hands of the enemy. That's, I'm serious. Three of the commentators all talked about that. It doesn't say that here. That's their comment on this chapter or this passage. And so David goes to the, the, this place, no doubt to hide, but as he goes there, they recognize him and they actually portray him as the king, even though he isn't yet. And they say, is the guy who they sing about? Saul is slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. In verse 12, as he heard these words, he became much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. And so he pretended to be insane in his presence. And so we see him pounding, clawing at the wood and spittle all over his beard, you know, and he's acting like a crazy person. And he was a good actor because the king bought it, right? The king says, yeah, I got enough crazy people. I don't need one more. What are you bringing this guy to me for? Get him out of here. Now, before we go to Psalm 34, what do you think the word is about David? When people hear he's fleeing, Saul's trying to kill him. Yeah, I heard he went and, you know, went to Ahimelech and took the priest's bread. And then he went to to Gath. And I hear he's crazy. I mean, because they don't have the scriptures like we have, right? They're just going to hear about it. No one's texting saying, hey, you know what? David's here and guess what's happening? It's going to go by word of mouth and you know how that can take place. And so just think what people are saying about David. And is any of it good? 
Do you think anything they're going to say about him is, oh, David's such a noble man? After all these things that he's doing? No, David has, has blown it. And what would we say about a person who was in a similar circumstance and did these things? Well, you know, Sam, yeah, I heard he went over to, you know, talk to this pastor. He lied to them and, and got some money from them. And then he went to Vegas and they saw him in Vegas on the strip and he was just crazy, like he was drunk out of his mind. And oh my gosh, Sam has really fallen. He's really in a bad way. What a shame. At one time, he was so close to God. Well, maybe they wouldn't say that, but anyway. (laughs) What would people say? And here is David's interpretation of this event in Psalm 34. It says, I will extol the Lord. First read, it says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech who drove him away, and he left. So this is the song that was born out of this event, when spit's running down his face, when he's clawing at the door and acting like a crazy person. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Does that seem strange to you? Doesn't it seem like a disconnect? Like, no, dude, you were acting crazy. But this is what is in his heart at the time when outside no one knows what's going on. And it shows us, I believe, that we need to be very careful of what we do when we judge people and the things that we see. Because we don't know what's going on inside. And so David in this time of madness is bringing out this beautiful psalm. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. You acted like a crazy person. The Lord delivered me from all my fears. Those who looked to him are radiant Their faces are never covered with shame. Isn't that amazing? Your face was covered with spit. And here you're saying, those who look on the Lord, their face is never covered with shame. What is taking place here? There is some either something else going on or a major disconnect with David. David, you are as bipolar as you can be if you don't recognize what is going on here. Or or could it be that in the middle of this just dark time in David's life, his recollection of what is taking place is actually how God did bring him closer and deliver him? Maybe what David is understanding through this, when we read it, it looks one way, but what David experienced through this is actually what is being born in this song. That God became closer to him than ever before. And it happened in this time when he looked like a fool. Have you ever been through a difficult time and how many times I've heard, the Lord is closer to me now than he's ever been. But 
you're really struggling. I know. I can't explain it. My prayer life is just vibrant. When I read the scripture, it, it speaks to my heart. When I worship, it's like I'm before God, but my life is falling apart everywhere else. And it's those kinds of circumstances that usually the songs are born in. And so when David is going through this, he is actually experiencing something else. As he runs from Saul, this is going to take the next, they guess, anywhere from 8 to 13 years of his life. Think about that. This isn't he's having a bad week. This is going to take the next 8 to 13 years of his life, and he's going to be a fugitive running for his life. Oh, it's going to take three chapters in 1 Samuel. And so we read it and like, oh, that was a good, you know, 20 minutes. No, that was 8 to 13 years. And this is the first event that's happening. And in this event, where is David going? Is he getting bitter? Is he getting angry? Oh, God, I didn't do anything wrong. How dare this happen to me? No, I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul, it's going to boast in God. And this is born out of those things. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Interesting. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. There's the prophecy concerning Christ. Even Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. What a beautiful song. What a powerful psalm. What incredible words. And this is taking place when he's acting like a madman. He's scared for his life. And he gets kicked out of the city. Isn't that how life takes place? I don't know. Have you experienced life that way? That when you're wanting things to go easy, when you're wanting things to go smooth, when you're, you, you know, you're just looking for a time of rest and everything's going good and it might be, oh, this is nice. But when the bottom falls out and when the pressure mounts and when we are hanging onto our faith by just a thread 
that God shows up bigger than through all those times of peace, through all those times of ease, that God is speaking louder to our hearts in that time of trial than he has at any other time. Can we see that like David did? Can we write a song like this when we're in a condition like that? Or do we complain? Do we need to talk to somebody about the injustice and and the problems? And do we whine about it? Because it's just not fair. David didn't. He wrote another psalm, Psalm 56. Another psalm. This is one of David's great moments in his life. Two songs are born here. Notice at the top. For the director of music to the tune of a dove on distant oaks of David. A miktan, which is a type of musical phrase in some sort. When the Philistines had seized him in Gath. Okay, so we just read that event that took place. Now let's read David's account of it again. Be merciful to me, my God. For my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long, they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present present my thank offering to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Again, David has this awakening of God's presence, of God's deliverance, And it is born at a time when he is being kicked out and his life is threatening and he's acting like a mad person. I think the contrast is so interesting. I think it is so important that we see what was taking place inside David when we just read what was taking place on the outside. And as the scriptures talk about David being a man after God's own heart, I believe this is insight into what that means. This is a recognition of when 
he's fleeing for his life and he is desperate and he is just being crazed with what he is doing, trying to, to figure out how do I get out of this jam? Well, I'll, I'll go to the priest and I'll get the showbread and I'll, I'll run to the Philistine camp and I'll have to act now like a crazy person. I'm just doing everything that I can to survive. What is taking place inside is there is a song being born and there is a trust in God that is directing him in the midst of this insanity there is an anchor that is holding him firm and that's what I think needs to be the focus of this passage it's not did David lie yeah he lied but something more was going on. David was crying out to God for all he had. He was on the run for his life. For the next 8 to 13 years, he was going to be on the run for his life. And you're worrying about, oh, did he lie? What was going on with him? He was learning how to live and trust in God. What are you and I doing in the times of difficulty. Are we looking to split hairs, legality to find out and make sure we're doing the right thing? Or is our soul crying out to God with all that we have? Because if you're focused on the legalities, you can miss the heart. And if you miss the heart of what's taking place, you miss everything. I think it's interesting that the Lord doesn't comment on so much of Scripture. He just tells us what happened and lets us iron it out. And it doesn't iron neatly. It never does. We want it to. Can't you just be clear? What's right? What's wrong? This is good. This is bad. And everything is just falling into place the way I see the world. But then we see these things happening. And it's like, what on earth? How can this amazing song come from such a strange passage? Jesus, how can you talk about this? But isn't it just causes me anyway, and it was your reaction, and it was all the commentaries' reaction. I'm, I'm, it was amazing how many commentaries, it was all focused on the lie. That's all that they talked about. And then when you read these Psalms, you're like, something's going on here that we're not talking about. Life is taking place and it's difficult because life is difficult and it's not clear and lying isn't good. We know that. I don't have to tell you that. But we've talked about this before. There's a time when it's okay to lie, I think. I think Rahab had a right to lie. I think God honored her lie to save those men, the spies. It was a good thing. If someone was coming in here to, to kill Daniel... I think it would be okay to lie on his behalf. No, he's not here. You know, if he was in the restroom or something. No, I haven't seen Daniel. 
Okay. I think Daniel would appreciate us lying on his behalf. I don't think, you know, I'd, oh, God, forgive me, I lied. No, God would say, you saved Daniel. I'd expect lunch after that. <laughs> and so we want to split the hairs, but God cares about important things. That's what Jesus was talking about. That human need is what's important. It's more important than the religious creeds that you had. And the life of David was of value to God, and so God was doing all that he could to move him to where he needed to be. And the reason God was taking David to where he needed to be is because what was in David's heart. Here is a man after God's heart. David's going to do much worse things than this as his life goes on. And he's going to do great things as well. You're going to do bad things. Hopefully you'll do great things as well. What, what's really taking place? Well, I guess that counts on who you are. Who you really are inside. What is the direction, the projection of your life? David's was God. I'm going to seek you. I will exalt your name. Your praise will always be on my lips. I will trust in you. What do I fear what man can do to me? Well, you're acting crazy here. I know I was trying to save my life, but I understand. After all this you know what? What can God, what can man do for me? If God's for me, who can be against me? There, there's been circumstances in my life, and I always struggle sometimes telling some of the circumstances and stories because it usually involves people you might know, and I want to protect them as I share things about me and the people I'm involved with. But there have been times in my life where I come to a place where I am worried, concerned about someone, and then finally I have to say, you know what? I trust you, God. It's not up to me to fix it. In fact, I don't know what I can do to fix it. I'm out of ideas. I'm out of energy. I'm out of money. I'm out of everything resource-wise. And now I just have this recognition, this epiphany that, okay, God, I'm really going to trust you. And I find this burden lifted off of me. And I find that, you know what? It's good. Has anything changed? No, it stinks. It's just God awful. Everything around is dark and, and falling apart and there is hurt and there is crying and there is devastation. But I have this recognition, God, I can trust you for everything. I mean for everything. And that includes this. And this might last the next 8 or 13 years. It doesn't matter. Those who trust in you will never be ashamed. Those 
who trust in you and walk before you, God, will not stumble. God, I'm going to praise you in the middle of this. So that's what I got from this chapter. It's different than the commentaries I read. I'd like to get your thoughts just on this. Yes, Timothy. He was pretending. He was acting. So he didn't actually go mad. He was just pretending to be crazy so that he wouldn't get killed. And it worked. I'm going to try it sometime. I think I have, actually. You can ask my wife. You're just trying to get out of it. (laughs) When the twins were small and they would cry, we both did this. We both pretend to be asleep. You parents with kids, do you know what I'm talking about? Jason, you can't answer this right now. You'd be in trouble. It's like, okay, I'm just going to pretend to be asleep, and maybe she'll wake up, and I'll pretend to sleep through it, and finally one of us, okay, forget it. you know. And you know the other person's awake too, because no one can live through that wailing. Um, anyway. <laughs> Any thoughts on this passage? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how our lives are. It's like we do what we can and we think what we know is right at the time. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. No, I mean, it's a good point. He's affirming what is right. You know, he's definitely affirming the things that are right. And again, it just doesn't say anything about really like repenting or I did this wrong, I should have done this better. I say that about everything I do. You know, I do, I, do, I could have said that better. Oh, I could, you know, so no doubt, I mean, those things might have been there. And, and I mean, when he's acting mad before the king, you know, is he lying or is he, he's kind of living a lie, I guess. You know, he's not really saying I'm mad. He's just acting crazy. Yeah. He's just, oh gosh, got to get out of this. I got an idea. Let the spit flow. Um, that's actually one of the things that some people say that he is alone, but then we know that some people later on followed him, so they might have met up with him somewhere else. But when he was there with Ahimelech, he was by himself. But then Jesus talks about his friends with him, you know, but he's actually quoting the passage in what David is saying. And so we don't really see a clarity of people with him at the time, so he appears to be lying about that, but we don't know. Yeah, he says that, but then it says when he went there, he went there by himself at the beginning. And so where are the guys? Well, some thinks they might be somewhere else waiting for him, and he just went there and approached Ahimelech by himself. Some people think he's lying there. I'm not sure. I don't know. David... David's a paradox of a person. I mean, especially when it says he's a man after God's own heart. It's like, wow. He really makes you think. Um, Next week, I want you to think about this. Okay, Saul is going to kill Ahimelech. Whose fault is it? (laughs) Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, because he kills him because he helped David. He helped David, yeah. Yeah, and also why he wouldn't have the others, if they were with him, come with him as well. Yeah, that's a good point.
Yeah, no, they ended up, he ended up, what we're going to see in the next chapters, he starts getting a whole entourage of people who are kind of the outcasts, and he ends up leading them. Hard to say. Never been running for my life, but who knows what I would do. He actually handled himself pretty well, actually. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Arnie. Don't know. You might have known there was bread there. It's like, I know there's bread there, and I think I can get it. You know, I know I can get because of who I am. The guy was afraid of me. He recognized me. He respects me. I think I can pull this off. That's my thought. <laughs> That's how I would think. <laughs> anyway, let's close in prayer. Father, it's amazing how to, out of this short and kind of crazy chapter, so much has been birthed from it. The Psalms and the reference to you, Christ, and Christ, your reference to this and using this as an illustration of the importance of human need rather than that religious tendency that we have. And yet there's the tension of honoring you and living a life for you and doing what is right and then having to survive. And God, you know that tension. You're not distant from it and you care about us more than the traditions. And Lord, we need to trust you in spite of the difficulties and we have to have faith that you can and will deliver, but Lord, you know our frame, you know our frailty, and Lord, you do not judge us without an awareness of our circumstances, and we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you're a loving Father who cares actually for us more than you do just rules and regulations. Lord, your law is there for us. It is to save us. It is to help us. Lord, may we always recognize that as we communicate and talk with others. Father, that you are always for people and that the other things aren't as important as the people. Who cares if we prove ourselves right if we destroy the heart of someone in the process? Lord, that is not your way. And so, Lord, give us your tenderness. Give us your wisdom to know how to walk in this life, to honor you always, and to care for people as you do. Thank you for this time, Lord. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.